So the next few weeks, I am very excited uh, to delve into the scripture and look at a theme that is one of the core convictions of my life. And honestly, I'm excited to do it just for me. If, if some good comes out of the sermon series, well, that's just an added blessing. But I'm just excited <laughs> to like study myself because one of my core convictions, one of the promises that for some reason I hold on to so tightly, maybe more than other promises that God makes for better or for worse, is that there are better things ahead for us than ever there have been behind. Amen. You know, some of us are so blessed, right, that it's hard to imagine that there are better things ahead. But in light of eternity... And in light of all that God has got for us on this earth, there are better things ahead. So over the next few weeks, I, I want to uh, talk about what it means to live a life that is exceeding what we could ever hope for on our own. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 3 that when we follow Jesus... We live a life that is exceedingly, abundantly, more than we can hope for or imagine. And the picture of that, as well as this scripture that I want to share with in a little while, is that our lives are um, a glass, a cup. And that God is pouring His Spirit, this living water, into us. Not just enough to fill the bottom of the cup and maybe quench our thirst. Not just to, to fill our cup a little bit. But to let our lives overflow with his goodness and living water. That's the picture that Paul and, and Jesus talk about. That is in such contrast of the reality to most of our lives, right? God wants us to overflow exceedingly abundantly, but the reality is most of us, we only have a little bit, and that little bit we do have of the living water tends to leak or dry up. The promise of Scripture is that we are women and men who overflow with the goodness and the glory of God. God wants to do exceedingly more. There are a couple of reasons why we leak, a couple of reasons why we don't have too much of this living water in our vessels. One is that we don't live an integrated life. We kind of come to church, and that's our spiritual life, and that's our best opportunity to put a little bit of water in the cup. And then we'll go to work, or family life, or relationships, or health, or finances. And those things aren't in alignment, and therefore the leak kind of happens. So the next few weeks as we talk about exceeding, we're not just going to talk about exceeding in our spiritual lives. We're going to talk about what it means to exceed in some very practical areas of life. And over the next few weeks, uh, I'll, I'll be kind of throwing a, a, a little bit of thought, but we've got some uh, experts who are going to come and teach us how to exceed in different fields of our life. But over the next few weeks, I want to talk about what it means to exceed. 
Bill and I yesterday uh, went to a funeral together, and some of you and I went to another funeral together. Yesterday was a tough day for me. I went to two funerals. But both of them, in their own way, were remarkable because we were stopping and remembering the lives of two people who had lived. And while these two lives couldn't have been more different, in their own way, both of these people exceeded what they could and should and probably would have done if they were just on their own. The first was for uh, an evangelist called Reinhard Bonnke. They were sharing some statistics about his ministry, specifically in, in Africa before it grew around the world. He was kind of a, a, a contemporary of Billy Graham's and the same kind of model of ministry. And so he had these big crusades and he would ask people to, to follow Jesus. His organization is able to record that over his 79 years of life, 79 million people made a commitment to follow Jesus because of him. And I heard that, and I didn't need to hear anything else. That was staggering. Here's this little German guy who went to school in Wales that God used to do something exceeding in his life. Now, most of us will never come anywhere close to that. But my friend Lisa, the second funeral that we went to, she's a lot more like us. She had some challenges. She, she had some struggles. She, she had a lot that she had to, to overcome. But somewhere in her life, she decided to follow Jesus. Later in life, she went back to school and she got a degree. And for the past 15 years, she was teaching kindergarten to little kids. You know, this big evangelist and this kindergarten teacher, both of them remembered in the, the same day. And the thing that unites them is that both of them trusted God and both of them in their life exceeded what they thought they could do as they surrendered to Jesus. And that's what I want to talk about over the next few weeks. But today I want to talk specifically about some principles that we must understand if we want to even consider this idea of living a life that is more, that is bigger, that is better than what we're living right now. And these principles are found in John chapter 10, if you want to follow along. John chapter 10 is uh, famous for one verse, really. John chapter 10, verse 10. It's one of those verses that are on bumper stickers and for sale on everything in Christian bookstores, right? And John 10, 10 says, The enemy comes to steal and destroy, but I have come, Jesus said, so that you can have life and you can have it in all its fullness. When the enemy comes, we leak. Sin enters. Sin is like a, like a sponge to this living water, right? It just dries it up in us. But when we follow Jesus and when we trust Jesus, 
The expectation is that we stop leaking and we start overflowing because we're living life abundantly. Jesus did not come and grab us and save us for the life we had. He saves us for the life that he has for us, which is defined by one huge word, abundance. As it's listed in John 10.10, it actually means superabundance. There's no other kind of English word for it. It's just like we're this vessel and God is just pouring blessing and blessing and blessing and blessing and we experience this, this super abundance. But before and after that verse, Jesus teaches us some principles that we need to build into our life if we want to understand what it means to live the abundant life. So John 10, starting at verse 1. Truly, I tell you, it's good that he said truly, just in case you thought he was lying. <laughs> truly, I tell you, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens it for him, and the sheep hears his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought his own outside, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from a stranger because they don't know the voices of strangers. Jesus gave them this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. The first thing that we need to understand and build into the foundation of our lives if we want to live an abundant life is that we need to listen and understand and hear and respond to the voice of the shepherd. Did you hear that in the scripture? Just these five verses, five times it's mentioned. This idea of listening to the voice of God. In, in, in Jerusalem, around where he's, he's speaking, there are sheep pens. Sometimes this was a cave. Sometimes it was an area that had kind of eight to ten feet walls around it. Maybe there'd be some thorns along the top of this area. And there was only one way in. And when you were in the pen, when the sheep were in the pen, they were safe. There was no one who could get to them. There was no one who could attack them. And therefore, a sheep pen guarded by a good shepherd was an important piece of infrastructure for the community. In the smaller communities where folks didn't have a lot of sheep, they would kind of band together, and they would hire a good shepherd, and they would build a big pen to protect the sheep. A good shepherd had lots of different equipment. He'd have like a little satchel that he would carry his water and maybe his lunch in, call it a script. A good shepherd would have a sling 
so that he could uh, ward off some, uh, some of the attackers of the sheep. But also a really good shepherd would be able to aim this sling at the sheep's nose to try and get their attention if they needed it. He would have a rod to pull them from danger, and he would have a staff to guide them and protect them. But the most important tool that a good shepherd had was his voice. And a good shepherd would train his voice, uh, train his sheep to listen to his voice. Good sheep would listen to the voice of the shepherd. A really good shepherd would know each of the sheep by name. And when he said their name, they would respond. The shepherd's most powerful uh, piece of equipment was his voice. I remember the first time when Bethany was born, when she was seconds old, and she came out kind of crying and noisy, and not a lot has changed since. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. But the nurse kind of takes her for like 30 seconds and cleans her up, and she's crying, and the nurse gives her to me, and I held her, and I said the name Bethany, and she stopped crying. And from that moment, man, I'm, I'm into this parenting thing. <laughs> it was one of the most ex uh, amazing moments because somehow she learned to be comforted by my voice. And when I called her name, she felt safe. That's what a good shepherd does. A good shepherd uses his voice to call, to instruct. A good sheep listens to his voice because he knows that the shepherd has his best interest at heart. One of the problems we face in our society today with the speed of it, the increase of technology, the way our culture's going, is that every day we get exposed to hundreds of voices. Buy this. You need this. Go there. Get this. There is only one voice that can provide us the hope and the safety and the security that we need, and that's the voice of our good shepherd, Jesus. If we want to live the abundant life, one of the first things that we have to learn, one of the first things that we have to understand is how to hear His voice. How to hear Him when He calls our name. And He does call us by name because He knows us and He knows everything about us. And He loves us so dearly and He loves us so passionately. Yeah, I'm afraid that so often in our life when He calls our name, when He speaks words of truth and life, we're not listening because there's too much noise. 
If we want to hear the voice of God, we've got to take some time to turn the volume down on all the other voices and get in touch with God through prayer and through worship and through his word, which is his primary kind of voice box, and listen to him. If we are not listening to the voice of God, we're not going to live an abundant life. Not talking about some kind of crazy, mental, audible kind of thing. God could do that if he wants. But I'm simply asking that if you want to live an abundant life, you turn down the volume on your phone, on your stuff, on your projects, on your stress, and you spend some time with God listening to his voice. If we want to live the abundant life, it's pretty clear here, John 10, 10, we've got to learn to recognize the voice of God, right? If we want to live this John 10, 10 life, we've got to live this John 10, 1 life, which talks about listening to God, about recognizing his voice, and about knowing when to respond to it. Jesus continues, he said again, verse 7, Truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that so that you can have life and have it in abundance. First thing that we need to do if you want to live this abundant life is to learn to listen to the voice of God. Take some time every day, as much as you can, to turn the volume on everything else down so that you can hear God's voice. The second thing that I think he's saying that we need to do is that we need to walk into the opportunities that are before us. None of us like change. All of us like stability. Many of us make it a goal to form as many routines as we can so that we're safe and secure and in control. But in doing that, we button our lives down. And I believe that sometimes we miss the opportunity for abundant life. So Jesus starts off this passage of Scripture here, right? We've got the sheep pen. And he says, I am the gate. Quite literally, when he's saying that, He's giving them a picture of being a gate. Because it was the shepherd's job to sit at the front, the little arch entryway of the pen, and at night to sleep there so that nothing could get in or nothing could get out of the pen without it going through the shepherd. As Jesus is saying, I am the gate... The shepherd literally was the gate. 
Jesus is saying, I am the gate to eternal and abundant life. In some ways, you could probably make a correlation between being in this pen where we are safe and secure as being a little bit about what heaven looks like. And as the shepherd provides access to the pen, so it is Jesus who provides entry into... Was that my phone? I think I triggered Siri. Maybe, <laughs> maybe that was the voice of God or something. I don't know. I don't know. Hmm. It wasn't the voice of God because it totally threw me off what I was going to say. <laughs> All right, so, so we have the pen, right? The shepherd is the gate to the pen, and Jesus is the, the door to eternal life. And if we want to get there, we have to follow him because he says he is the way and the truth and the life. But what's interesting about what else is happening in this passage is that even though Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, even though he is the gate to get into this pen, there are two things that Jesus talks about. First of all, he talks about um, some of the, the traffic flow coming in and out. He says that if I'm at the gate and I'm the gatekeeper, then you can be safe at night, but during the day, you are, are free to come in and out. Now, now, what does that mean? It doesn't mean that we can live as a Christian some of the time and not some of the time, that we can follow Jesus part of the time but not all of the time. What he's saying in this context is that heaven is not a compound. Right? That the kingdom of God is not a compound where we go and we try and make ourselves safe. There are a lot of people who have that kind of Christianity, right? It's one of the reasons that our, our, our kind of pseudo-Christian culture has created all this stuff around it that kind of uh, mirror images the stuff of the world. Because we think we need a Christian version of everything to be safe. We think that heaven is a compound, that, that, that Jesus died so I could, could go there and stay there and be safe. But in this picture, Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven isn't a compound. It, it, it's where your home is, but your responsibility is to come in and out of this uh, place to the world, because when you're in the world, you're supposed to make a difference in the world, right? There are so many people who say, yeah, I'm following Jesus, I'm saved, I'm locked up, I'm tight, I don't want to do anything else, but just kind of hide in this compound. That is not the gospel. The gospel goes in through the gate to meet Jesus, but with Jesus, we go out into the world to make a difference, right? There are so many good people who fell in love with God, but have never left the compound. Now, the compound is nice, and it's great, and it's good, but it's not where we're called to stay. And if we want to experience the abundant life... We need to go out into the darkness of the world so that we can see what God will do in the darkest of the dark. Does that make sense? If we hide our faith, then we are going to miss out on the opportunities 
to make a difference. You tracking with me? What I'm saying is if you want to live the abundant life, we have to be prepared to, to leave the compound. We have to live our faith in the, in the real world. You know, I'm ashamed to admit that it wasn't too long ago that I realized that. I've been a Christian for a long time, probably about 30 years now. But honestly, it wasn't until about year 20 when I realized that my faith was something to be lived out in the real world. I tried to build this this life within the church where we could use our own language and do our own thing and we knew who we knew and we didn't like who weren't a part of us. And somehow God got a hold of me and I started to kind of move in the real world. And you know what I found as I've moved in the real world? That God is at work in the real world. And the real world is is where we're supposed to be as his ambassadors. And I found that my relationship with God accelerated as I lived outside of the pen. That makes sense? I mean, don't take the metaphors too far because it gets messy theologically. But, But you see what I'm saying, right? There are opportunities ahead this year that if you want to live the abundant life, you have to take. There is this, 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 this inflow and outflow of the pen. The other thing that Jesus says, and this is why there's an inflow and an outflow, is he says there are many people who don't yet know that the pen exists. They don't know about me. They don't know about heaven. They don't know about hope. Probably in this context, he's talking about Gentiles. Probably today, we would call them lost people. People who don't know why they're here, what they're doing, what the purposes of life is, and they're just trying to do whatever they can to make sense of it. Jesus says there's a place for them in the pen too, but they're not going to know about the pen unless you leave the pen and tell them. I think the first thing we need to do if we want to live an abundant life is we have to learn to listen to the voice of God. So the challenge is to stop at least once a day and listen to God. The second thing that I think John uh, is capturing, as Jesus is saying, is that if we want to live the abundant life, we've got to take the opportunities before us. We need to be people who say yes more than we say no. We need to be people who are controlled by this commission of the gospel to, to go out rather than to step back and to hide. If safety and security is our goal, We miss out on being faithful. We have to take the opportunities that are in front of us. Does that that make sense? Every metaphor is limited, right? And that one certainly is. But if we want to live the abundant life, we've got to take the opportunities. Continues verse 12. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, since he is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he is a hired hand and doesn't care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. 
I got other sheep that are not from this pen. I must bring them also, and they will need to listen to my voice. Then will be one flock and one shepherd. This is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down all on my own. I have a right to lay it down. I have the right to take it up again. I receive this command from my Father. Again, read that later. There's a lot in there. But the point I want to make is if we want to live the abundant life, not only do we need to learn to listen to the voice of God, not only do we need to take the opportunities that are before us and that present themselves this year, but we need to be prepared to make a sacrifice. That's what's happening in this verse. That's the key theme here. Jesus says there are, there are two kinds of shepherds. There are, there are good shepherds who take responsibility... And then there are shepherds who aren't that good because they're just hired hands. They're just being paid to do a job. And as soon as the going gets tough and as soon as they, they realize that, you know, they can make money elsewhere or the danger is too great, they'll bail. Jesus is saying if we want to live the abundant life, we have to take responsibility. And with responsibility, always comes sacrifice. Again, I think we miss out on abundance because we're not prepared to sacrifice what we think is good for the great things that God has for us. He says, I'm going to sacrifice my life for the sheep. I love them so much that, man, I'll pay the greatest price. To let them know that there is more for them. To let them know how desperately and dearly they are loved. He says when, when we do this, when we, when we start sacrificing, then we, then we start experiencing oneness. He says then there will be, be one flock and, and one shepherd. You know, again, this idea of oneness is another key theme of the Scripture, right? We live in a world that is so divided on a thousand different levels. You know, one of the things that's going to have to happen for us as a, as, as a humanity to experience oneness, we're all going to have to make some sacrifices. We're all going to have to say, hey, maybe my way isn't the, the perfect way. Maybe I'm not in control. Maybe I don't have the edge on anything, everything. And if we can sacrifice some of our own rights and responsibilities before the God of this universe, then maybe we've got a chance of being one people with one shepherd. If we want to live the abundant life, we have to listen to the voice of God. We have to walk into the opportunities before us, and we have to be prepared to commit the necessary sacrifices. Many of you heard of C.S. Lewis, right? One of my favorite quotes of his. I was trying to think of it this morning because I wanted to put it on my, my Facebook page, and um, I thought I knew it, and I didn't. I thought it was this, that there are 
far, far greater things ahead than ever there were behind. That's not what he said. He said there are far, far greater things ahead than what we leave behind. And he was absolutely right. Because in order to move to the things that are ahead, we have to sacrifice some of where we are now and what's behind. Does that make sense? The abundant life requires sacrifice. It requires giving up some of us so we can receive more of Him. We get rid of some of the junk in our um, cup, in our glass, so there's more room for living water to flow in and flow out of us. If we want the abundant life this year, we've got to listen to the voice of God. We've got to walk through the opportunities. We've got to make the sacrifice when the sacrifice has to be made. But it's a hard word and it's a confusing word. And it was a confusing word back then. This is how the scripture ends. After hearing this teaching, the Jews were divided because of these words. Many of them were saying, he has a demon and he's crazy. Why do you listen to him? Others were saying, these aren't the words of someone who is demon-possessed. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? C.S. Lewis, again, I think better than anyone, defines these two verses here. He says, what was happening here was that everybody was wrestling with this idea of who Jesus was. Can we listen to the voice of God? Can we take the opportunities? Should we make the sacrifice? Some said he was crazy, a lunatic. Some said he was a liar, which is maybe why Jesus said so many times in this passage, truly. But others could only come to the conclusion that he was the Lord. C.S. Lewis's quote is, uh, Jesus, is he a liar, a lunatic, or a lord? Comes from this verse right here. If we want to experience the abundance that's ahead, we got to listen. we got to take the opportunities. we got to make the sacrifices. But first, got to answer that question. Just as the Jews were answering in those days, who is this Jesus? Is he a liar who's in this for power or manipulation? Is he a lunatic who's dropping crazy stuff all over the place? Or is he the Lord? As we go into this new year, Lord, let us hear your voice. Let us take the opportunities. Let us make the sacrifices. But first, let's settle that you are the Lord.